Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Increase of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, come donate over on Anchor. Or Kofi. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at increaseofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the Linktree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything. Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 49th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have a very special co-host, my uh, number one co-host from Big Dumb Inquiries. I got Kyle Rainey. What's going on, man? Uh, Kyle with the Big Dumb Podcast here. Glad to be here. Uh, You've heard me on Big Dumb Inquiries, uh, and I'm glad to be part of uh, Inquiries of Our Reality. And uh, yeah, if anyone out there ever needs a co-host, just hit me up. I am your guy. Uh, our guests on the show today, if one of you can't make it to a show, hit me up. I will be, I'm the resident stand-in co-host, so uh, <laughs> just hit me up. I'm always down, but happy to be here, Shane. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, today I bring back uh, my first time with guests coming back for a second time. I have uh, Bill and Adam from 13 Questions. How's it going, guys? Phenomenally. Well, we answer in tandem all the time. <laughs> <laughs> It's always the fun of having a co-host. You got to like figure out your flow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun though. So uh, I guess for the people that didn't listen to part one or, uh, you know, started listening a little bit later on, whatever, either or, uh, why don't you guys give them a brief summary of like what you guys do over at your show? 13 questions is uh, what I have uh, kind of termed it as an ongoing anthropological study on what it is to be a man in today's digital world and that uh, that is the 13th question we ask the same 13 questions relatively uh to each each guest so uh, the 13th is what does it mean to be a man and there's a little double entendre because it can be a man or man as in like a human being and then uh so yeah we just uh really want to emphasize the uh the wisdom that is passed on from our elders and we're all products of of those that came before us so it's nice to uh, get some of that, the, some of those practical pearls of wisdom and uh, kind of ingrain them in 
in the annals of what is becoming 13 questions. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun popping on your guys show too. So I, I guess a good starting point today, because you guys have probably never been asked this. Uh, what, what is it to be a man to you guys? Well, Shane, before you get into that, I, I just had a quick question for, for you guys. Um, so you ask the same 13 questions on with every guest that you have on and you're kind of logging that as you go. And yeah, the, the questions do modify and kind of evolve along the way. Okay. Uh, and so some have cycled in, cycled out. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, it is a, um, I, I'd call it an evolving list. Uh, but, you know, at its core, it's the same. But you keep it to 13, right? Okay. Cool. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. That's interesting. Uh, and then before Shane's question, I just want to ask you guys, what are like your top three questions that you guys ask people? Because I'm just, I'm curious. I, I'm, I haven't uh, listened to your show yet. I can tell you some of my favorite questions. Sure. Yeah. Do do just do a couple, and then we'll go into right. Shane's questions. Sorry, I'll give you my, how's this? No, no I'll, give you my, I'll give you my two favorite. Okay. What institution of society or structural aspect of modern life would you change given the chance? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. They got some good questions. They're really solid, man. <laughs> and what's the next one? What's your next favorite? So many. Um, if I were to ask your best friend. What is the one thing they would say you need to work on the most and why? Oh, <laughs> dude, that's like the like I, I always struggle with. Uh, I went on a show recently, uh, Speed Bumps with uh, Ellie, and she said, what's like the best thing about you? And I was like, fuck, because it's easy to like degrade ourselves. Right. But it's hard to speak highly of yourself. Uh, so that's, I mean, a different question, but still in the same vein, it's, it's hard to talk about yourself in that kind of way. So kudos to you guys for, for, uh, asking those questions, but Shane, go ahead and ask what you were going to say. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just wanted oh, a no. little more context. I was just going to say pretty much. I had to, I listened to the episode before I went on her show with you on there. And I had to think about that same question all day to be able to figure out two solid answers to it. So that is a very strange thing that it's really, really hard to compliment yourself. Oh, it's hard to take compliments too. As a man, do you guys find that, uh, Bill and Adam, do you guys, uh, I I've noticed, you know, it's hard to take compliments even from like your loved ones, you know, or your significant other, like compliments are just as a man, it's like, you don't expect it and it's rare and it's hard to take in. You know what I mean? Yeah. You always remember it though. When you do get compliments. Mm, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lasting impression. And it can be, I mean, it's awkward more than anything else, I would say. But just, uh, you know, please and thank you or thank you, I guess. Not really please, but uh, yeah, just be polite and uh, it just, you know, try to make it less awkward. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I don't ever feel really awkward, though, if it's something that in the societal norm is not something that's done. Because myself, I try to give credit and, you know, compliment people where it's due just because, you know, it's one of those things, look, if you really impacted me and affect me, I want you to know, um, because, because if I impacted somebody in that way, you know, I'd like to know as well. So, you know, I, I, although I, I, you know, would have a hard time. It's like, why are you, you know, thanking me for opening a door? You know, you're here. I'm not going to slam it in your face. Uh, <laughs> you know, depending on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful when people do it. Cause I'm like, all right, you know, like, you know, we're, we're making some headway in the world. Yeah. You know, you know, it's starting to evolve too, because I feel like it's starting to get to a point where maybe it's not as awkward 
like just being co-host on the other show, like Kyle and I compliment each other all day and stuff like that. And it's not as it's, weird, but it's like, super gay. It's super gay. <laughs> very homoerotic. The things that Shane and I say to each other, um, <laughs> not, not intentionally. It's just how it comes out because it's like, Hey bro, I appreciate you and you do great work. It's like, okay, that's unless it's your boss telling you that it sounds kind of gay, nothing against, you know, gay people or anything like that. But I'm just like, when you're talking to your bro, it's hard to, do that you know what i mean like there's only a handful of guys like i always try to like tell my friends that i love them so it's like love you bro uh but if i go any farther than that like with any detail it's like both of us feel weird it is a little awkward but it's important you got to let people know how you feel uh because you never know uh, what's going to happen you know that, yeah, that's what i go by Let's be honest, you know, you're reading between the lines. You, you're your buddy uh, to feel the, uh, the emotion coming through. So everybody compliments in their own way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is true. You're kind of complimenting just by being a good friend or a good person to somebody else in a sense, too. It's like an indirect way of complimenting somebody. So, yeah, I mean, just your uh, I find oftentimes just your presence uh, with with your friends can make a, you know, can say a lot. You know, if you are just there for them or you you reach out to them and maybe don't even talk about anything serious but just like you know hey what's up dude what are you doing oh did you see this movie or did you do this or whatever that goes a long way for for guys in particular you know what i mean like girls when when they talk to each other it's very you know very very personal very um intimate in a sense like very detailed but with guys it's like hey what are you doing today oh nothing just going to work you know it's bullshit my boss is an asshole and it's like oh yeah me too cool and it's like just that can go a long way yeah you're not wrong dude it's just that little interaction ends up going farther than what you realize it goes absolutely but uh, I definitely want to hop back into that question because I'm not sure if you guys have ever been asked that. What's uh, I guess each of you, because Kyle's never really been asked that either. What what do you, what what makes a man in today's society to you guys? <laughs> yeah, I can I can go first. Um, I've actually Adam and I have both done all the the questions on an episode on thirteen questions. I'm number thirty eight. I don't remember what Adam's episode number is, but um, for. For my my question was uh, or my answer was personal responsibility, and uh, I have it written down here in my notes, and I'll just read it. It says accepting the role of a man in the continuous effort to act as such, and then I said no. Our society has no initiation into manhood anymore, so I wanted to emphasize the, the some archetypes found in a book. I can't remember the author, but it's King Warrior, Magician, Lover, and uh, so I wanted to uh, to kind of. I, emphasize those those four aspects especially the warrior aspect and this is something that dr bear uh, mentioned during his interview with us and uh, the uh, warrior aspect of the internal warrior like fighting the shadow on your inside and doing doing the inner work because you know with the uh, reflective nature of the universe you're just going to get back what whatever you're feeding out into it so we want to take care of our our, our spiritual side too as well as you know being a warrior on the, the 3d realm is you know protecting and providing and and whatnot and so other than that i had written down uh, no cognitive no cognitive dissonance so uh just being able to to question everything you know especially authority and uh critical thinking you know learn how learn how to think not just letting others telling you like what to think so that that was my my answer i had that, that last part was key for sure too. Not, not thinking for yourself and not letting others think for you. Like that's very important. I feel like a lot of people have lost track of that in today's world. 
How about you, Kyle? Going down the line. Um, what does it mean to be a man? Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, however you identify and, uh, you know, just how you feel. I'm just kidding. That's, that's <laughs> um, if any, I guess I'd say that uh, kind of going off of what what Bill said there, uh, personal responsibility, um, you know, just owning up to uh, your actions, whether they're mistakes or successes or failures or whatever, just just owning up to it and, and moving on. And, you know, for, for me personally, it's uh, taking care of, of business, however that is for anyone out there, just getting your stuff done. And uh, I mean, it's not easy being a man either. You know what I mean? I mean, it's relatively easy, I guess, but it's not a, an easy feat to, um, you know, be good at it. And, and I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still young trying to figure this stuff out, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to get married. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, really taking care of my significant other and hopefully our children uh, will uh, give me some more insight as I move forward. Cause right now I guess I'm still a young man. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if age has anything to do with it, but I, I try my best just to, uh, to, uh, you know, just not, not be an asshole, <laughs> you know, and also be, and also be strong. Like, like you said, Shane, not, um, you know, uh, succumbing to other people's ways of thinking uh and not letting other people tell me what to do not that i can't take advice or uh you know suggestions but it's uh you know i, I learned how to be a man from from my dad who you know taught me well so that's i guess that's what it means to me but i um well crap i had a question for for bill there but i'll, I'll come back to it uh adam did you have a what what was your your uh answer to that that question that's a deep question man it's hard to get into it's been a long time. I don't remember what my answer was, uh, or even necessarily if it's uh, if it's going to be the same per se. Um, but I can say that it's just as I grow up, I see that I used to be the wimp. I used to be the weaker of my friends. I used to be, and as I'm growing older, I'm seeing that just I didn't get that much stronger. Uh, it's just the the personality, the way that people think, their determination. Uh, wanting to take the easier path. And I have no problem taking the, the, the harder path, the riskier path. I don't mind building up, you know, thicker skin. Uh, you know, I, I know that if I get sick, my immune system gets stronger. So I don't necessarily want to avoid the sickness per se of what any kind. Uh, so I'll, I'll take that risk, you know, knowing that, you know, one day that may be to my demise, but until then, I'm building up thicker, thicker. And so just that mentality to everything, you just don't see it as much. So to me, you know, being a man in the world today is, you know, just doing the thing that you should be doing that you feel you should, you know, like the opening the door, being there for your family, you know, um, all of the, the other things that just aren't necessarily the easy way out. They're just, you know, the thing that you know you need to do and then just doing it. So Mm -hmm. uh, you know, none of us are perfect. You know, we're not, we're all failing that task along the way, but I don't know. I just being a man today, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, I think, uh, Bill said it the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will just say I've been watching, um, I've, I've, I've been rewatching, uh, band of brothers, that HBO series about the, uh, airborne division in world war ii and just you know just based on on that and of course you know we have stories from uh the veterans of those of those wars and and things like that uh 
I think it's what being a man is has changed drastically over the generations. I mean, because I look at these guys and obviously it's a TV, but it's a TV show, but it's based on real events. Like, I don't think that could happen today. I don't think we have enough men that would be willing to do the things that those guys did. And it's interesting because all of these guys, most most people in uh, soldiers in World War Two were just regular people before the war. I mean, they were teachers and, you know, businessmen and, uh, you know, factory workers and stuff. And they were put in a situation where they had to step up and they almost did it without question, you know, and they really um, did some heroic and horrific and, you know, uh, very daring things. uh, Just that an, an average man would never have, would never think that he would do and so um, I, I think just because of the, the changing of the times and, you know, thank God for world peace uh, for the most part, um, that we don't have to deal with that on that large of a scale. But it does change um, what it means to be a man, I think. I think that the standards have changed. I think the expectations have changed. But it's interesting, as much as the <clears throat> expectations have changed, like in general, like, oh, you don't have to be a tough guy. You don't have to do this or whatever. You don't you know, screw, screw the women, screw the kids, just do your own thing. As much as that's a part of it, you know, uh, it, the expectations on the individual level level are still there, right? Like if you get into a relationship and you're just a loser, piece of shit, you know, don't do anything. It's probably not going to work out. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the women, even though, you know, w- women are, uh, moving, you know, they're in the workforce, they want to, uh, you know, be the the boss, you know, I'm like the boss bitch or whatever, that whole, the, the third wave feminism. Uh, if you don't do that, if you aren't the the caregiver, uh, it can be an issue uh, in the relationship. And I'm not, I'm not, that's a, that's a very broad generalization, but um, it is something I've noticed, not with me in particular, but just in general, like, you know, uh, people as as uh, progressive as they may be, they still want their man to be able to provide for them and you know take care of them and stuff like that. And we're we're lacking that in some aspect. It's one of those things too that it's like everybody wants to destroy the whole idea of gender roles, but in a sense, gender roles are kind of needed according to nature. Like even looking at any other animal in the animal kingdom, like every one of the genders has like a defined kind of role that they do, and because of that, it's like yin and yang, and it counterbalances each other and works things out. Right now we have too much of like a mix where it's like they're saying, you know, uh, like toxic masculinity, however you want to word it. But it just kind of seems like females, for the most part, are trying to like take on like the role that like males have been doing for a long time. So like the reason why they're starting to feel that, I guess, is probably because there is like the masculinity from the guys already. And then they're trying to act like they're more masculine. And it's just kind of creating this all out just everybody angry and wanting to fight with each other because they don't have that counterbalance of like the peaceful energy which would typically be like the female energy you know yeah and i mean i i see nothing wrong with you know if shit if my if my woman made tons of money and i could be a stay-at-home you know uh home home uh what's it home taker home care what's the word uh home giver i don't know the word uh but if i could you know chill at home all day and raise the kids and the dogs and cook and clean and fuck hell yeah dude i'd love to do that but um and actually my fiance does make more money than me but not enough to for me to not work but um so i i think it's changed uh i think there's more of a of a you know kind of a middle ground but there does need to be uh 
I don't know if, if the, the balance is necessarily in those gender roles, but just the responsibilities of being in a relationship, raising a family, those things have uh, balanced out per se. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean, there's counterbalance too. Cause it's like you were saying that's like, like there's, there's kind of like roles in a specific way and they don't have to be played out exactly in that way, but those tasks mm-hmm. still need to be done and you yeah. have to be able to like interchange and mash together to create like that full balance. If yeah. That makes sense. The, the roles are still there, but who's filling them is changing. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but uh, when you neglect one side of that, you know, regardless of what gender or role you're filling, if something's not being done, it's going to cause an issue. Um, have you, uh, Adam or Bill, have you guys noticed that in society? I mean, maybe not in your personal lives, but have you noticed this kind of pattern of just things being shifted around? Yeah. Well, I also think we're in addition, I mean, we're living in an, a, a much softer world in America, you know, with hardship, with, you know, even in the times today of what people have experienced in, you know, past, you know, they don't, we don't have the same experiences as people. And I think of it in the same way where they've done studies on people who were, you know, involved with starving events, you know, famines where there was no food. And then they follow their children and they see, you know, how do, how do they react to this? And they find that, you know, their children are much better adapted than people who haven't experienced the starvation um, to go through that. So I think that, you know, just the entire experience of a human and how you have to live and the way that life has gotten easier, you know, to where it's, I mean, my examples are always like clean water and salt, you know, salt was worth more than gold, but yet anybody can go into, you know, a fast food restaurant on any corner and get water and salt for free. And so there's all these just levels of change that we've had in the world that have just, you know, you're not constantly trying to survive, procure, you know, make it through, um, you know, survive against, you know, the, the environment, the world, the animals, nobody worries about wolves. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, we're different. And I think that that just impacts all aspects of modern life and to the flip side, you know, if something crazy happens, if this world changes, you know, we also have DNA inside of it that's going to open up. Just look at like Wim Hof and his breathing techniques and what he can teach people to do. You know, um, there there will be people that grow up fast. The kid who grows up in, you know, the hood, who, you know, has a tough life, walking the street, bad stuff happens to. But you know what? When they're older, man, they know like they can survive in an environment where if you were just dropped in as an adult today, you never would. But yet that child is better off than you in a sense. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's kind of like the, what's that saying? Uh, tough men create easy times and then <clears throat> soft men create hard times. Like, however that works. Yeah, it's, a, it's a cycle. I, I think it's uh, uh hard men create good times. Good times create soft men, soft men create hard times and then hard times create hard men. And it just repeats. Um, and I think we're coming on the tail end of, I think we're, we are, on the tail end of the soft times, right? So soft times breed soft men. So I think we're, we're kind of in this transition period of soft times going into hard times because I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. Look at the last two years up until this moment and shit has not been great. You know what I mean? Things People have are, definitely toughened up though in that time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're in a transition period. And I think, you know, people in our age group, I, I'd say we're all you know, twenties and thirties, 
we have been in that kind of middle ground of the, you know, the former generation and the new generation. We're kind of that in between. So I think we're in a unique position where I'd say half of our generation is going to be those soft people. And the, the, the other half is going to be going to have to be those harder people. And, um, you know, hopefully we can create some good times out of it, but I think we're, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're entering the hard times. Things are, are going to be not great going forward, but not that you can't be successful or thrive or, you know, uh, persevere, but it's going to take some adaptation. As, as Adam said, there's, there's a lot of things that, uh, like I like love what you said about our DNA. Uh, there's some memory there. There's some instincts there that are going to kick in if they haven't already. And you're going to start, uh, you know, changing things. It's I, I compare it to uh, growing up poor, right? <laughs> when you grow up poor, uh, it, you're, you uh, look at the world a little differently. And then when you perhaps enter adulthood or a, a time in your life where you have a little bit of money, those kind of and I hate to say this, but people know what I'm talking about. Those poor people tendencies kind of stick around, right? Uh, like not wasting uh, food or, you know, taking a, a old pickle jar and using that as a cup instead of just throwing the empty jar away. I mean, there's lots of little things that uh, I did when I was a kid that I, I've tried to stop doing now because I'm not necessarily, I mean, obviously on a compared to others, I'm poor, but Wait till you have kids, though, and then you'll go back to it. That's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, but those things kind of kick in uh, when when uh, you least expect it. So I don't know. Um, I'm just hoping that things will, uh, you know, uh, I, (laughs) I guess stagnation is probably the worst of it when you don't know what's going on. And we're kind of in that period right now of what is going on i don't know whether to to run to hide or to you know humans are highly adaptive and the amazing thing it's like you said we do carry that memory through us if you've ever been anywhere and there's a shadow of like a helicopter and you get that instinctual feeling to duck and drop when was the last time you or one of your ancestors had the instinct to duck from some creature that could attack you that would be flying? It's been a very long time, definitely <laughs> within our lifetimes, definitely not on this continent within many lifetimes, but yet you still have that DNA built into you. So uh, I love looking at like the, the Wim Hof and what you can open up in epigenetics, because then I just look at other animals like a pig, man, you put a pig into a pen and it is adapted to its environment. You let that pig out for a few months. And next thing you know, it turns into oh. a boar. It's mm-hmm. body changes. It ain't going back. It's got like, like it grows tusks and fur, muscle changes. It's now elongates it. Exactly. And so what happens nasty. when you domesticate animals? I think, you know, there could be an aspect of humanity that has been domesticated. And just based on our environment, you take a goldfish, put it into a fish. It's not going to grow any bigger based on the size of that container till you move it. Plants do the same, not just in size. There's so many aspects of humans. Um, and then, you know, I add on to that evolution because we know everything's evolving and changing. And so many people don't imagine that. What if that's everything, including government, society, ways of thinking that those are all evolving too. And yeah, it's not going to work the way that we did things before. And this next transition, it's going to be a collapse. Sometimes the forest has to burn down in order for you to have the new growth. And in the same way that you have like a, a chrysalis, if you have a butterfly, something that's converting, it goes from a caterpillar. If you go into the middle stage and you look at it, 
it's a gelatinous glob. There's, there's no cohesion. It looks like a mess. It looks like nothing's going to come from it. It's chaos. But if you let it sit long enough, beauty comes from that and it springs eternal to something new. So um, I think we may as a society be in one of those moments where we can't see the forest through the trees and a butterfly is going to emerge sometime. You know, uh, this earth's been here for a long time. Humans have been here for a long time. Uh, some part of this is going to be there for a resurgence. Yeah. And well, and um, Adam, I, I, I'm sure you've heard of the Great Reset, right? Uh, the, you know, World Economic Forum. Uh, Every single world leader, including America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but but I, I just want to be clear for those listening. That's not necessarily what you're advocating for, because uh, and I just want to be clear, you're you're suggesting that because uh, we don't I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I don't trust these world leaders. I don't trust the World Economic Forum to have my best interests at heart or, or humanity as a whole, uh, uh, their best interests at heart. I don't believe that. I don't trust these people. Um, and I think when they say a great reset, like I think they want to take it to a darker place. Right. Like, yes, we. We need to, and they, you know, one of their catchphrases is build back better. But in order to build back better, you have to destroy something in the process. Um, but I think what you're saying is more of a benevolent kind of, you know, uh, the more, more so like a hero's journey where the hero gets knocked down. He has to face these trials and these tribulations in order to succeed in the end. Um, and is that, is that how you feel about it? I all just, great, yeah. all great societies fall. Yeah. And great societies build up afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I, you know, when that society is falling and if you take humanity and when the next builds up, when, you know, Rome comes and builds upon the foundations of a society that was more complex that we know nothing about. I just think about it just in, in these ways that something else is coming ahead of you and it could be something beautiful and great. I mean, the technology that we have compared to, you know, the technology of you know the past ages is just completely different than I'm sure the the interfaces and technologies and things they were doing. So yeah, I'm I'm not advocating for any sort of thing. I'm not even saying that we are, but you know, sometimes you don't know that the house is on fire. And then all of a sudden it's up and gone in no time. You know, but eventually that land's going to get cleared and something cooler is going to get built with better technology. I keep saying it too, that it's going to be something where everybody splits and there's going to be like the people that want to live in like smaller communities, like out in the country type areas. And then there's going to be the people that want to live in like the mega city type areas. And maybe that's what we're moving towards because it would be the people that want to be controlled and don't want to think for themselves would all get to be in one area and then everybody else could like self-govern themselves, which I feel like would be almost be a better future in a sense, rather than everybody kind of being mixed together, you know? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I've learned, I live in Florida. It's a little more chaotic than certain parts of the country. And there's so many different eclectic people types around that, you know, there's certain types of problems and chaos that just don't happen and can't happen because there's so much chaos. And in the end, every for the most part, everybody's there trying to help each other out and do the right thing. But, you know, once you get into, you know, systems where, you know, people are too aligned in their philosophies, their politics, you start to have, you know, groups that can roam the street and get away with, you know, beating people, you know, Antifa movements and just other, you know, crazy things that, you know, just are not going to survive, you know, down here. People don't get, you know, attacked for wearing, you know, the wrong logo or, you know, the wrong type of, you know, political messaging or whatever. What It's just 
So in the anarchist world, I won't say I'm an anarchist, but I am much more for chaos because in the chaos, you can find meaning and you can find order. Um, and no matter what we try to do as a society or people, we're not swimming through the force of nature, the force of the world, the force of just people and how they act. You have to learn how to swim in the ocean. So we need to find the best way to do that. And, you know, look, groups of people care about each other. You know, go to your local restaurant for long enough and you are going to care about the person behind the counter and vice versa. They're going to become your friend. You live in a small enough community. Everybody's your friend. You're caring for each other. You're looking out for each other. That changes things. We all drive to work looking at people. We don't know who they are. We don't care. When you cut somebody off, there's no thought about what they're going through, you know, what's going on in their life. If you'll even ever see them again, because the chances of that happening are slim. So, I mean... Yeah, I like the idea of smaller groups working because in the end of that, if we're all doing that and human beings are ultimately, you know, good in my mind, um, if there's bad actors and bad apples that accumulate, I think the system is going to, you know, work them out. Mm. I think it would correct itself better if they were in smaller yeah. groups rather than being mixed into the big groups, you know, because then it's like, I know it sounds kind of messed up, but then all the people that are like that can group together in a sense, and then it creates a bigger problem. Rather than if exactly. they were just one by themselves in a breakaway community, like they wouldn't end up lasting well, that long by themselves. Well, let's you know? say we have just we have like a fracking or take any industry that could cause environmental damage. You've got, you know, a small number of companies that are running this entire thing being controlled versus, OK, if we all had, you know, small areas of land that we were living on controlling, you know, we'd be looking at the environmental impacts and our neighbors would be looking at the environmental impacts of our actions. And we would have so much more skin in the game than the person living on another continent who literally does not care what they destroy over here because they've got the premio beach, the primo health care. You know, they're not living in the toxic cities with all of the waste from their disposal. Um even so, on a small scale, people just walk down the street and throw garbage in somebody's front yard because, they, again, they don't know who they are, so they don't give a shit about who they are. Yeah, It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Why do we have an issue with the police? Because you don't know your police officer because the police officer and you don't have an understanding that when they show up and a person gets shot because they're having a mental issue and there no, was no weapon. Well, if you actually knew your community and knew these people, there would be more trust, more knowledge, more understanding, more people actually wanting to come to you and trust you and knowing they could trust you in a system and we've washed that out through again growing to a system that worked very well from where we came from needing to build infrastructure you know transportation being able to get it down so that we're not starving we have clean water we all have roofs over our heads so you know these types of things we've conquered the world so that we don't worry about wild animals attacking us we worry about whether or not the ground is not perfectly flat and you trip on a sidewalk and need to sue somebody. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, it's a weird fucking world we're in. Sorry. I don't know where I was going with that. No, no I, I was just going to say, Adam, it, it, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier about epigenetics, right? Um, we came from that kind of tribal uh, community that, that tribal mindset and, those, you know, once you get to learn, know your community a little bit, let's say, let's say you live in a big city, but even if you just get to know the people in your little neighborhood or borough, um, it makes a big, a big difference, right? I, I go back to, um, what's that movie, a uh, biodome with, uh, Pauly Shore and one of the Baldwin brothers where he's yep. like, biodome, 
think globally, act locally. You know, it's like, uh, it's, you know, if you think about all the problems going on in the world, but you apply that to what you can control, one, just getting to know the people around you, right? Like, I, I got new neighbors recently, and I've done my very best to uh, g- try to get to know them, right? Like, hey, come over for a cookout. Hey, do you need any help moving in? Do you need help? Like, do you have issues in the in the in the house? Like, is there anything I can help with? And just because I know for me, if shit hits the fan, I I can't go to my family or my friends across the state. I got to rely on the people around me. Right. And uh, the last thing you want when shit hits the fan is hungry neighbors. Right. So you got to you got to work together. Right. Um, And so it kind of goes back to that tribal kind of like what you mentioned, the epigenetic memory of just like getting to know the people in your vicinity, whether it's your city your town your community your neighborhood or even just your street just getting to know those people and uh whether you agree or disagree or whatever it, at least come to an understanding you know what i mean that can go a long long way uh even if it's not not let's say it's not an apocalyptic situation but like let's say you just you know need some help with something right and you're you know a neighbor who is a mechanic or knows how to change a tire or you know things like that you it that kind of community can can really go a long way. And then if you scale that up to, hey, you know how to uh, rewire a house or I know how to build a house. Like so when shit does hit the fan, like, you know, people who can continue, you know, work in that and and uh, rebuild uh, without having to rely on some sort of larger system to uh, come in and save you. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I was going to say, uh, jumping off of that one too, because I feel like it's a good question to ask after all of that conversation. Uh, if there was one thing you guys could change about society, what would it be? Oh. I guess we'll start with, uh, with Bill since, uh, he hasn't talked in a minute. <laughs> um, well, okay. Um, I'm scrolling through back through my notes to see if I had that question when I went through it, but, uh, uh, let's see one thing that I would change probably the way we get around in, in relation to, to transportation, like, uh, not, not to say that, you know, I, I think electric vehicles are a good idea because I don't, but I do think that we're using an antiquated technology and that there's probably something better out there to use. I, I know that there are uh, certain engines and, and things you can do to cars to make them run on hydrogen and i think that's super interesting water yeah water, yeah and water and so i think that uh yeah there can be a whole industry built around that and i'm sure that there's tons of jobs you know taken into consideration like just retrofitting old vehicles or manufacturing new ones that actually use this technology it's and it can be so much more like if you're really going to be like a big uh green new deal or whatever like maybe we should actually look at something that's that actually works, you know, not not driving these 300 mile radius vehicles where people get uh, they get uh, what do they call it? It's a radius anxiety or return anxiety. It's basically buyer's remorse after buy, buying one of these. It these... keeps you in your area. Yeah, like, you can't mm-hmm. go far. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a control mechanism. And uh, I, I don't think they're any better for the environment, except maybe the emissions. But even then, it's not significant enough compared to uh I had one, someone told me one time, and I I believe this person, they said that if if you're talking about just your carbon footprint in general, it is better 
it is is it is a less of a carbon footprint to just drive the car you already own until you can't drive it anymore than to buy a new car, whether it's a new efficient car or electric or whatever, because the carbon footprint it takes to make a car is more than it ever takes to actually drive the car through uh, throughout its lifetime. So, um, but you mentioned transportation in general. I, I think uh, I, I've just noticed this in my town. We've got these little fucking scooters everywhere that are just annoying. And Dude, we had just, those things in Detroit and now they're starting to come up to all the suburbs. They're like all over people's front yards. Oh, well, people now. just <laughs> dump them wherever they throw them off of bridges, throw them in drainage ditches. I mean, it's absolutely insane, but I think, obviously their intentions are good. They want to, you know, make things a little easier, but I agree with you, Bill. There's, there's gotta be something. I mean, we hear about, um, you know, for some reason, anytime someone comes up with a cure for cancer or a way to, you know, make a, a, a efficient car, they always end up with two to the back of the head, uh, for whatever reason. The problem is it's control because, you know, they're making money off of people using gas if people are, you know, using electric cars, they could theoretically shut them off whenever they want. They're still making money off of people having to charge them. If they started making cars where they ran on water, there's like anybody could go to any water source and have like an endless supply of fuel, essentially. So mm -hmm. then you lose that control over the people. So that's why I think it's like one reason why they'll never continue to try to push that and why everybody who comes up with things that work like that end up, like you said, with two to the back of the head. Yeah. Anything else, Bill, on uh, the transportation? Uh, I, I'm curious, why did you choose that for one thing you changed? Do you think it would just kind of smooth things over in general if people could get around a little easier? Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, driving our vehicles before we can't anymore because I'm pretty much at that point with my Jeep right now. <laughs> <laughs> good luck, dude. Good luck finding the Listen, new car right you now. You can get parts. You're good, Bill. It's old enough. Start swapping out. Start going to the junkyard. I'm Buy a Shelton's manual. You'll be good. It's That's what I used to do with my Jeep for a hot minute. That thing I got to like, before I got into a car accident with it, I had that thing at like 300,000 miles. <laughs> shit, dude. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez, man. That's that's crazy. I'm almost at 200 in my F-150, and uh, uh, we'll see how long it takes. I have no, I've had no issues, but dang. Uh, your Jeep, dude, uh, Bill, good luck finding a new or used vehicle right now. Yeah, uh, maybe take Adam's advice and just start scrap scrounging for parts. Right. I've, I've done a little bit of maintenance to it, but uh, it's just, I don't know. It's got electrical issues and the, there's body like uh, frame damage. So it's there's bodies, Bill. <laughs> we edit that. <laughs> Why are you trying to get rid of this truck to, again? I made you a new co-host, guys. The blood stains. Yes. <laughs> and I can't get rid of the smell. Uh, I did hear from somewhere that if you buy a car pre-1979, there's no like electronics in it. Uh, besides like the radio so you can really uh you can they're easier to fix yourself they are uh more reliable when it comes to like emp or you know some sort of attack um but obviously they're harder to find i mean those are 40 year old vehicles so uh but i've plus, just that's what i've heard plus just they're going to be gas guzzlers you know everything back then was big you know just because it didn't really matter gas was super cheap Mm -hmm. uh, you are right. If an EMP or something attacks, so your starter is going to get knocked out. So even just to start it, you know, you're going to need some sort of like air compressor start likely. Uh, the real trick, I mean, if you want the entire system to be hardened, it essentially needs to be like a diesel pre 1950s machine that only has glow plugs on it to be able to withstand too high electrical. So yeah, even with that, uh, don't buy a Tesla, but, uh, 
stick with a modern car. It's probably not going to get knocked out or everything's probably going to get knocked out anyways. Yeah, good point. We'll have yeah. to go back to the old original self-driving car, the horse. <laughs> hey, I'm in Texas. I can find out. There's horses in the field across from my house. I, yeah, or, you, or you know what's cool about a horse? You own a horse. It knows where you live. You get drunk on the horse and you fall asleep. It's going to drive you all the way back home on its own and you don't have to program it. Shit. <laughs> and you get to become friends with your oh, car. Hey, you it, listen, do you know what it runs on? Grass, most environmentally friendly thing ever. What does it do? <laughs> it shits out fertilizer. What are we short on? I, I will solve the vehicle crisis right now. Mustangs. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> wild, wild Mustangs. Oh, that's great. That's great. But hey, you're you're not wrong. We could end up in a position where because uh, what was that? Uh, the Walking Dead, right? With the the sheriff in that, and I think in the first episode, I yeah, mean, he's riding the horse around. That show's <laughs> old now, but yeah, the, no, he tries to start a car. He tries to do all this stuff. Nothing works. He fucking hops on a horse and he rides his happy ass all the way to, you know, outside out of Atlanta. Um, I think for the yeah. average person too, it'd be definitely easier to rebreed horses than to try to figure out a car and get it to work for, you know, as long as your lifetime goes on. You Not know? only that gasoline, you know, you're going to have to get something to run to purify. There's a lot of technology involved in that pumping it out of the ground. Plus, if you really consider like an, Oh shit, like we get wiped out, you know, uh, sun, massive solar burst fries, all non-hardened systems on the planet, which is all electrical grids, basically all computers, anything not completely encased within a Faraday cage. And then it destroys all the equipment you build equipment with, every single motor. You know, okay, you blew out all your transformers, even if they're sitting protected. Here in South Florida for a hurricane, FP only, keep, only keeps between like 150 and 250 transformers on site at a time. Even if it was a, a light issue where it hit the United States, you know, and we lose, you know, 20 or 40% of all electrical systems, every car, every plane that's flying. I mean, that alone is going to completely destroy farming equipment, the grid, like everything across the board, your, your power plants, the water's not going to run. Uh, so yeah, small minor events like the Carrington event that have happened before. I don't know. Scary, especially since we're coming right into uh, the next solar maximum and we're you know looking to ramp up here end of September going through uh, early next year. You know, it's yeah, funny that you mentioned that. Oops, sorry. So I was going to say we've been in a minimum for a while, right? Yep. Yep. For a while. But uh, yeah, the new cycle uh, has started. So mm. go ahead, Shane. Sorry. Oh, no, we're good. I was going to say going back to the horses, too. That's another thing you'd end up needing horses for if you uh, didn't have farming tools to be able to actually like plow fields, do things like that. You'd have to go back to the horses again to be able to plow the field. And again, fertilizer, because while they're plowing, it's dropping right into the garden. We all just need to go back to having horses. That should be another thing that gets it's on the checklist for do well, for preppers. You know, <laughs> I will say I've lived in, in Texas most of my life. And uh, when I moved out of state, the joke was, oh, did you ride your horse to school? Uh, no, I didn't. I grew up in like a suburb of Dallas. But now where I live out in West Texas, I mean, literally people ride their horses places. I mean, it's it's just part of it because you know who's going to be fine. The Amish. <laughs> oh my you're not God. wrong the ted kaczynski's <laughs> right have you, have the, you the seen cult the... leaders they'll be fine oh my you're absolutely right dude have you seen the uh the uh kind of sped up videos of them building a barn in a day and then moving it 
not only building it, but then they build it. Oh, and yeah. like, oh we, we're in the wrong spot. And they literally just fucking pick the thing up and move it. I mean, yeah, my, my family's from Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. I grew up around, uh, grew up going and seeing the Amish all the time. So, yeah, they are a special breed of people. Honestly, I've really thought about it. Like, OK, if anything, go, like, should I start? integrating with the Amish because it seems like <laughs> pretend you have amnesia show up with a beer you're just all dressed up that would be amazing I think the beard would be my biggest down I cannot grow a beard to save my life but I could at least you know just just uh you're right no beard because you need to pretend you're single yeah that's true uh, you, you got to just slide out of the cornfield one day during dinner and just sit down and start eating and see how long it takes anybody to notice you yeah I mean but seriously though Adam you make a good point the Amish have got their shit together. They didn't get COVID. They didn't get, uh, you know, they don't deal with uh, elections or, you know, political drama or even social drama. They don't give a shit about Roe v. Wade. They don't care about any of that stuff. The Amish and the Native Americans, uh, well, I guess the Native Americans have probably been more targeted uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, issues in the community. But the Amish, they seem like they've got their shit together. And the Mennonites, too. They know what's going on and they make some great food. Oh, yeah. You want, uh, yeah, their stands are amazing. It's one of the best things about going up to uh, rural PA is in that Ohio area is just hitting all the stands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, uh, (laughs) so I went to I went to school for uh, uh, acting and musical theater and things like that. And one of the big draws uh, for my because it was in the Midwest and there's actually uh, some Amish uh, musical writers that have started Amish theaters in like the t- more touristy Amish areas, like in uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania and stuff. Uh, and this one lady has written, I don't know, probably 10 full-blown musicals uh, about Amish life and Amish culture. And a lot of my friends actually got jobs in the Amish theater. It's very interesting because uh, it was uh, it's a new show. It's it's new. Uh, you know, it's great for young pe- young actors. Uh, but man, there's literally nothing around. So it's not like getting a job in New York City and, you know, as an actor and you kind of have that style. But it's like, no, there's one bar outside of town and then the rest is just Amish. but I, I've visited, obviously, several times. And man, it was great. It was fun. It was uh, well, simple, simple. one of the one of the cool things about the Amish that most people I guess they kind of get shoehorned into groups, you know, movies like Sex Drive uh, with Rom Springer and all these other things, which are real things. But every Amish sect is to its own with its own set of rules. There are generalizations, you know, not wanting to have photographs, not all, you know, Uh, the not dealing with technology is another one that I find interesting. It's actually not no technology. They will use technology, but they're not going to buy and plug into the power grid and you know be part of these other systems they will barter for things they will have a generator that they use and maintain through bartering and through other things and means and you know if you show up on their job yeah they might not have all their own equipment but when they show up like uh uh one of my family members had the same thing he had him replank and redo his entire barn and he shows up and he's like hey he's like "Uh, i see you have a chainsaw can i use it he's like sure thing did all the cutting and everything with the chainsaw for the entire thing so it's just it's a completely different philosophy on life and they are certainly not all the same every group is a little bit different so yeah they're they're just a a very it's it's a very interesting um experience to have somebody who is you know will not engage in the contracts uh 
but we'll use your cell phone to make a call. It is kind of a weird concept. I was about to ask that too, because he was talking about the Amish theater. I was going to ask if they like didn't use electricity within the theater, but oh, now no. that you're describing oh, that. Lights <laughs> and sound and microphones and stuff. Yeah, I've yep. gone into Amish places where you do things very traditionally, but for, for the steaming, for the bending, you know, for some of the nailing and cutting and some of the stuff, they'll use, you know, modern air-powered pneumatic equipment, which is great. Why wouldn't you utilize the world? Because, you know, it's the same thing as a handsaw. An engine is just articulating and manipulating this, this metal, you know, into doing your bidding with energy. It's just like having a fire. You've just utilized it to a much greater capacity, you know, through integrating the stuff properly. So, yeah, um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting things about their culture that I, I, I truly enjoy. Because we're all stuck in cages, right? We're all we're all tied to these systems and debts and you know things that can get us going in jail and you know what we're worried about socially and things going on and tickets and traffic and you know meanwhile you know they're out there just going point A to point B you know horse and carriage you know just making ends meet feeding the family it's I don't know it's I'm almost envious of, of life, people no that American can, take life can. That slow. I guess they're Americans too but yeah. <laughs> I'm almost envious of people who could take life that slow because like you'll see them just riding down the road and it's like you wish you could just take the time to just ride a horse and buggy all the way somewhere and not be worried about the time and how fast you're trying to get there and actually be able to like, you know, if say you're a farmer, because that'd be part of being Amish, of course, I'm assuming uh, like actually being able to like spend that time in your field and not have to worry about like, oh, I got to work this job too in order to support myself because like having a little farm isn't enough to be able to support you and yourself in a normal like in the normal world at least right now unless you have like yeah, a full-size giant farm you know they don't gotta worry about money or debt or things like that and um yeah it, it's interesting um it seems like you know that we looking at them and and that they're they're still around after all these decades and perhaps hundreds of years um it, it's in, like it, it makes you think like are did we miss something along the way you know Definitely feels like it because everybody kind of has that empty spot in them where they kind of just know that society isn't what it should be. You know what you were saying about like the speed, right? I mean, just think about like when you're driving in your car down the highway, like when when are you ever driving where you're not in some sort of rush? Right. Uh, just I mean, how how many of us actually go the speed limit? If not, like, you know, we usually go like five over, at least here in Texas. It's like an unspoken rule. You can go five over. No problem. I feel like that's uh, nationwide. It's the five <laughs> over rule because it's the same up here in Michigan. Yeah. So it's like, what, you know, it's almost like that, that thing of like, stop to smell the roses. Whereas like the people like the Amish, they're always smelling the roses. Like they don't have to stop to smell the roses because they, they are always smelling them. You know, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, um, it, it makes me a little envious, but also at the same time, like it's nice to, uh, you know, have air conditioning and, you know, the, the luxuries of, of modern society. Um, but I guess if you aren't used to those luxuries, you wouldn't miss them. Yeah. Good point. Good point. It's like, have you, have you guys watched that uh, new documentary? What is a woman? Have you have y'all watched that from uh, the daily wire with Matt Walsh? Um, I have it on my list. I haven't actually gotten to it yet though. I found a YouTube link of it. I'll, I'll try to send it to you later, but uh, he, at some point in the, in the documentary, he goes to, I think the, zambia or maybe the congo and talks to these tribes and he's trying to explain to these tribes like because he's like i've asked everyone in america and no one could give me an answer so maybe i need to get out of america so he goes to these african tribes and he's like what is a woman and they're like us uh, someone who gives birth 
you know, and he's like, well, well, over in my country, that's not what that is. And he's like, the, the tribes are like, that's ridiculous. And he's like, would you want these people who are uh, poverty struck and downtrodden by our standards? He asks them, would you want to live in America based on this information? And they're all like, fuck no. Like y'all are crazy, <laughs> you know? So uh, it's, and I, I imagine the Amish don't have to deal with that as well. You know, it's just, it's, it's just uh, first world problems as they say. Yeah, exactly. And they only exist because we make them exist because, you know, we, we create our own problems. Like that wouldn't be a problem if our society was still based around, I'm not saying like we, our society should be based around any specific religion, but like it holds you tight, tighter to like a system of standards. If a society is based on a religion such as like Mormon or not Mormons, but Amish Mormons, I guess hey, also would fit Mormons into that one too, but do pretty well. You know, I've never met a Mormon who wasn't a very nice and successful for, uh, person, you know? I mean, they're still living within normal society, but I guess they do kind of have their own set mindset yeah, where they're, they're not little, worried about these problems that we're dealing with right now because they're like kind of in their own. They're like, we're going to get our own fucking planet. Who cares what happens to climate with climate? I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck this shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. So uh, what what else, guys? What else is, has been going on? Um, I don't mean to like change subjects uh, abruptly, but. Anything, Bill or Adam, that's kind of been on on your your minds that you wanna you wanna address, or maybe we can just you know make make some uh, dick jokes about. I mean, what's what's been going on? I'm gonna let Bill speak because I feel like my microphone's getting worn out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry, Bill. We've been kind of yelling over you. Sorry, bud. Just speak up. Speak up. Just yell at us. We'll. Uh, <laughs> I well jump up and wave. You uh, continue the Amish slash Mormon thing. Yeah, go ahead. Here. Go ahead. Uh, Actually, I knew a, a Mennonite couple who owned a credit union when I was growing up. So that was, it was an interesting crossover. I worked for them for a number of years. Nice people. But uh, yeah, they get into the, the, banking, the banking game, which kind of gave me a unique perspective, <laughs> especially as I got older and realizing what the, the Fed actually is. So yeah, that was interesting. Um, uh, so yeah, other things that have been happening. Well, I mean, we can go into that a little bit too. That's, I mean, <laughs> how did the why did you ever ask them why you you Mennonite uh the, this Mennonite couple? Did you ever ask them why they got into mo the modern banking system? I mean, it seems to me like that is counterproductive. To yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, I one of them converted. It was a it was a split like uh, oh so they married they foresee and so one of them converted. I don't remember all the details because it was a long time ago and they were quite a bit older than me. But uh, yeah, so it, it was married in and then uh, so yeah, someone converted, but uh, that was they were still like part of the church because I got to go to their church a few times and uh, they uh, started out with. Uh, accounts with am general am general's big factory in in that area so they it was just small credit union just for those employees and then just kind of grew grew out from there to serve the under under underserved uh, people on the poor people on on the west side of town is where they had their headquarters in a very poor area south bend and uh just kind of grew out from there but yeah they were just wonderful people i actually would wouldn't mind having uh, the uh, the husband of that uh, couple on the show if 
he's still alive, which I'm sure he is. But I remember staying, I, I, uh, my parents, they were close family friends of mine, right? So my parents went out of town one time and I remember staying over at their house and I got up in the morning to get ready to go to school or, or work or something. And I see him laying on, on the floor in the dark in, in his, in, in the, in the, in the living room, right? I'm walking into the kitchen and I kind of stop and backtrack, double take and go on about my business. And, and he kind of explains to me later that he's his own chiropractor. So he's, he's doing his floor stretches in the morning, part of his routine when he gets up. And uh, this guy has always had gray hair and Coke bottle glasses. I don't know if he had hearing aids since I've known him, but uh, he's, so he's just always been this uh, older gentleman that's in extremely good condition uh, mentally he's as sharp as attack and physically so that's kind of kind of a role model growing up I was around him a lot so yeah that's uh interesting like I said just interesting crossover from Mennonites and, and, and Amish people uh and, and you know there, there's two yeah there's two di- that's two different things I would say I think it's so similar right well yeah. I, I like what you said too that they you know uh they wanted to they went into it wanting to help people not necessarily not necessarily wanting to just make money as most bankers do and it's interesting that they started a a local bank trying to help the people in the the local factories and the 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 poorer populations i mean obviously that's a that's a great uh uh motivation or incentive to uh start a bank but i like what you said earlier about the fed too like did do they understand what the fed really is what the federal reserve represents and how it uh, is almost uh, counterintuitive to uh, their way of life. Uh, but it seems like they were just trying to help people and, you know, be part of the community because I, I assume even the Amish people, uh, they might be one community, but they perhaps have a some. So there's probably one guy who manages the money, right? I'm sure they have some sort of cash flow from the furniture they sell or the crops they barter. Um, they so still need to buy wooden supplies. So, yeah, I'm assuming so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that's interesting. And what are y'all's thoughts on, I can guess, but what are y'all's thoughts on kind of the whole uh, Federal Reserve System? Do you think that we're we're seeing the the downfall of the Federal Reserve based on the the amount of printing and, and fuckery that's been going on? Or uh, do you think a lot of people are still just like, oh, OK, you know, print more money? What do you also? I have my opinions, but what are you things are changing? You know, people, uh, you know, uh, discount Bitcoin and just calling it, you know, throwing it with all the other cryptocurrencies or shit coins out there. But really, what you're looking at with all that is a system that cannot be taken down. This thing was built in such a way that you can always use it as an exchange of value, regardless of going up or down. It is outside the control of this larger system. So, um, you know, just the fact that that even exists in the world, that people are even adopting the idea that they can come up with different currencies, new currencies, other currencies, other ways of exchanging value. These are high end ways of uh, bartering. And when I think about society, I think about one of the, the, the great ills is how do we value things? Um, you know, uh, like in the environment does not come first. We put money and profit first. But if we put the environment first as our priority, the, the space that we are living in, then cost would not matter. 
those kind of prices wouldn't matter. It would be the most environmentally balanced, you know, uh, economical bio, you know, not economical, but biodegradable solution. We would all be using, you know, biodegradable plant-based plastics, more, you know, washable, recyclable systems, even if it doesn't make sense. Yes, we can recycle way, way more than we do. It is not cost effective. Therefore, we don't. But what if we did? We would not have all the things that we're at. And so as we go forward, things like these new forms of currencies and exchanges and ways of thinking, and we're at the very beginning, are going to give people the tools and the power. And you're already seeing it um, because right now, you know, people are spending a lot of money to support podcasters and people that they get their entertainment from. They, they, they see the value. We're in a new generation where, you know, people are willing to pay somebody because of what they're getting and want to support that. And once that philosophy, I think, you know, kind of bakes in and becomes more of how people just do things and we have better things. I mean, you see the lightning network and lightning nodes going into podcast 2.0 and all of the, the stuff that's going in that with the cryptos so that people can do microtransactions and boosts with what they're listening to, um, you know, and doing, you know, breaks. And these are all able to be exchanged in and out for Bitcoin. So yeah, they'll go up and down, but regardless, it is an exchange of value. And it is a value where people are exchanging based on the real engagement that they're having on a level outside of the system. There is no third party middleman. There's only the person running the wallet or the infrastructure. And if you have the technology to do that on your own, then you can do it. So just that whole philosophy, um, you know, of people being able to use these, you know, systems that, that cannot be taken down. So yeah, value, value it's, it's baby. Word. I mean, decentralization of, of all, I, I know I jumped into the end there, uh, but I, I had a feeling of what you were <laughs> going into. Uh, but yeah, man, I think that's the way forward uh, that, value for value kind of it's almost an anarchist type of uh uh mindset where it's you know uh it's like anti-corporation it's like kind a of the idea behind it what's the word voluntarism you know like you i'm voluntary voluntarily participating in interactions with you whoever that may be whether it's the government or whether it's the uh, a business or whether it's another individual all of our interactions are voluntary. I'm not being forced to participate, but rather I'm choosing to because it benefits both of us, right? Uh, and whether that is in the form of podcasting or content creation or running a business, I mean, there's, uh, I, I think, Adam, you said it right. A lot of people are waking up. They're seeing that, hey, uh, my money is, be is being devalued. Uh, my government doesn't have my best interests at, at heart. Uh, the systems that I once trusted no longer serve me and um where do people get their news they're not paying attention to the mainstream media they're getting it from people online and as p and this is what's great the technology and the access has become so great hollywood's collapsing entertainment has become very easy for people to create good quality content and distribute it as were before you would have to go through the network through the advertisers it's called a soap opera because they were there to sell soap if it went against what the advertiser wanted you weren't doing it so, you know, we live in a much freer world. It seems more constrained, but I think as, as people are, are going into this, you know, it, it just drives them more into that. If I have a garden, I need to water the garden. And if I see these forms of entertainment, I have the ability to directly give them value. I want to make them grow. I think people are starting to realize, you know, that uh, if they want something, they need to pay for it and nobody wants things for free. You know, you get stuck with shitty algorithms, control mechanisms, things listening to you, 
why is Facebook being driven away from? It is the most effective form of targeted advertising. It is incredibly good. You know, it offers, you know, this experience that everybody and their friends was on, but somehow those algos still are driving people away, you know, and as our other platforms are coming up that people are paying for, that they're integrating with, um, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's different. And as we start to get out the centralized systems, um, yeah, things to back to what we were talking before, uh, groups like the fed, um, they're going to fight harder. You know, we're going to see them introducing their own cryptocurrencies. We're, we're going to see a battle on the financial order that's totally different. But, you know, uh, to me, this is just a new evolution. It's a new way of doing things. It's a new way of valuing. And I think people are ready for a new way of valuing where I control the value. And now with the technology, here's what's great. If I have a lightning wallet and you have a lightning wallet and we buy into crypto, I can give you value no matter what directly without a middleman. And nobody can ever take that away from us as long as we keep our... And so like, these are just amazing concepts. And then if you add on to that, that money is a hallucination. It is a fucking piece of paper that you and I have agreed is worth $20. And we agree what that value is between. But if all of us decided to change what that value of that paper was, everything would change. So that's being given back to us. It's being put into our hands. And, you know, people should really look into the fact that, you know, it's not cryptocurrency, um, all cryptocurrencies are built differently and Bitcoin truly is different than the others in um, from the ground up. It was built to not be exploitable. Honestly, and it kind of gives me hope for society in a sense, too, that we're kind of starting to move into that type of direction, too, because it's like it may not be local in that sense, but it's local in the sense of like he was saying, like I'm dealing with you directly rather than going through like a big corporation to do something. Cause everybody wants content or they want everything around in their life to be specialized to them at this point. They're kind of tired of like the, here's the generic for everybody, especially because the generic for everybody is getting so outrageous that majority of people don't want anything to do with it anymore. And they just want everything to be how they want it. And people are starting to realize that it's okay that you don't follow the mainstream narrative of things. Like it's okay to have this opinion, that opinion. And like, we can all get along within different groups, but like, if we keep pushing towards that woke agenda, they tell you who to be mad at. And then we're just going to have you have conflict no matter what, because they're, that's the message they're trying to push is anger towards everybody else who disagrees with that concept. But if enough people are outside of that concept, then I feel like there'd be a lot more peace amongst people. And it lets us cut people out of the loop very easily. If I want to support you as a podcaster, I don't necessarily want to support Visa and the other things that they're doing to other people or PayPal and some of their company policies or the things that they're doing. But yet I'm forced into those other systems to support you through these other networks when really we don't really need to rely on those networks. You know, those systems don't have to be there. People are getting and building their own things. And another beautiful thing that I think is really pushing this you know, uh, we have more freedom of voice than we have ever had before. Um, you know, uh, almost without exception, we can say anything on this podcast and we can still publish it out there. We can still have an RSS feed. We can get deplatformed off of the Apple feeds, but Alex Jones still has a site that's accessible and people can still listen to him. And we live in this world where like, we're very, very lucky. And although those, although those walls are closing in, Considering those walls weren't squeezed so tight decades ago and we still have more freedom, I don't know. I've, I've got a lot of hope. I mean, honestly, though, what, we, what we're doing right now would have been pirate radio like 30 years ago and it wouldn't be legal. So you're not wrong in that extent, too. 
And I mean, if it wasn't for the internet, cause it's like a double-edged sword, like we wouldn't be able to inspire people to kind of follow their own endeavors or to learn things for themselves. So it's, it's a good medium to have just because of that aspect. Well, and uh, it, it kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier with like your local community with this technology of the internet uh, our communities can be not necessarily physically local to us, but they can be local to us on in the online sense. Like, like what Adam was saying, like I can support you, Shane, even though we live uh, over a thousand miles away from each other, we can still connect on that, on that level where it's individual to individual, it's person to person, which I think is, is great. I think that's true decentralization, not just on a local level with your community, but using the tools that we have in this modern age to extend our community and our, our, our reach all over the place. At, Cause that's more decentralization as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, I liked what, what Adam was saying. It made me think like when your refrigerator starts ordering your groceries for you, we may have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. As it's like, it's almost as if like convenience is no longer a selling point. I mean, obviously, it, it still is for for many many things, right? Like, we're, Zoom is very convenient. We can all get together and have this conversation through Zoom. That's that's convenience, but uh, it, it it's almost like we're, we're we're getting too far one way. So we need to kind of find that balance. Where like, okay, yeah, I can people order- can't do things for themselves anymore because right. they're so used to the convenience. Right. Like, I I think to me, going to the grocery store is inconvenient. I hate going to the fucking Walmart. It's terrible. I want to kill myself every time I step in the doors. Um, so I order my groceries online, but I still have to decide what I want. You know what I mean? It's not like the the refrigerator is making the orders or Alexa or whatever is fucking making the stuff show up at my door. It's like I still have to do that. So there's a balance there, right? Because I'm not physically going to the store but I'm not letting someone else decide what my groceries are in the first place. So uh, there's, and I, that's obviously a little tangent. I didn't mean to, you know, derail the conversation, but uh, it's interesting. Like your toaster does not need to be connected to the internet. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) One thing just to jump back a little bit on what you were saying that I love the, how connected people are and how, important community instant to us because as society has grown into these larger groups and cities and we're, you know, constantly in this pace of, you know, running the treadmill just to put food on the table and doing all this busy work and paperwork in society, you know, through all that, we are still finding community in those niche groups, finding people like us, finding communities, you know, uh, all across, you know, so many spectrums, you know, if it's a creator on Halo with his community, it's been putting out work for years, gets diagnosed with cancer. It's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars within a day. It's raised by the community because they truly care about this person that people like, yeah, like, why wouldn't I help this person? We have that connection. And it's beautiful that that technology is coming to the point that we can all start to group connect and come together. (laughs) And it's even beautiful because it's going to start bringing in um, like it is other cultures and not so much, you know, like, no, if you were to ask most Americans or most Russians, you know, do you hate, you know, a person in Russia? Do you want them to die? No. Do you dislike the government? This and that? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But fundamentally, we're just people. And we understand that, you know, we're we're under the silo of our government and we can circumvent that, you know, as we start making those connections, it starts to become, you know, uh, you know, World War Two in the trenches on Christmas, or was it World War One? It was World when War they, 
Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you pause for, you know, a holiday and then you start meeting, you start sharing stories, you get to know each other. And next thing you know, you refuse to fight and everybody's got to get pulled out on both sides because nobody's going to kill each other. And technology is making those connections. It's slow. You know, the world's crazy. It's chaos. This isn't going to happen overnight. If we can make it through 100 years, maybe. But considering where we are now to 100 years ago, I mean, just look, go go back at early film from the 1900s. You know, people getting, you know, uh, beating women, kicking dogs, you know, terrible things on film that were normal, just normal, not just normalized, normal. And we just can't see the forest from the trees. It's pretty damn good in America right now. Yeah. Despite all of the craziness, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got to fight your kids off from the government. It's a new battle. But let's be honest. These things have always been along with us. We're just, you know, as we get more advanced and more smarter, we get we get better tools. The biggest one's communication right now. Yeah. The, what's happened is before you you got night, you got you got the official story and barely anything else. Now you get the complete official story. You get the complete unofficial story with the hidden truths, and then you get complete bullshit. And now it's your job to sort it out, but at least you have access to it. True. Yeah. Discernment is key in anything, right? Regardless whether it's your information you're taking in, whether it's your relationships, whether it's uh, your work or your family life, no matter what it is, discernment is key and it's not easy to do. Just to piggyback on your, it, and I, I mean, I'm going to agree with you right there. That's that's absolutely true. But the internet, the internet of things, you mentioned like your toaster being a smart toaster or whatever. Like, <laughs> it's it still going to burn my toast, no matter how smart it is. You know, you're going to piss it off and it's going to intentionally burn your toast. <laughs> the little uh, Darth Vader helmet won't come out quite right. <laughs> but uh, the, you can tell that we're absolutely, I think we're on the cusp. Like we're about to see a turning point because we have this, the internet of things, right? Like our smart toasters or smart uh, refrigerators, like whatever, like the next step. And we can, okay, so we can see what the, I'll finish with this thought first. We're at the tail end of the internet of things age. I, I would like to believe because we see things getting more opulent, right? Who needs a toaster connected to the internet? Nobody, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can see that things become opulent right before they become obsolete. Like when mm-hmm. uh, trains were, were a big thing, everybody was all excited about uh, the steam engine, right? It became very fancy and very you know rich and, and luxurious. And then, and then the car came out, right? Nobody cared about steam engines anymore we can kind of say the same thing with aviation especially with airships uh, but we can see it in airplanes too people used to get dressed up to go on these things right and now we just kind of take them for granted but so these are this is like the progression of technology and we introduce the internet and there everything's everything is connected the internet of things but i think what we're going towards are what powers that be want us to go towards are an internet of people where we start microchipping ourselves and i think that that is is going to be i mean conquer and divide right like that's 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 been their playbook for for a while now but i don't think that the majority of people are going to go along with being injected with a, a microchip that could, can do god knows what you're basically that bill you're already a cyborg right you've got wires connected to your head interfacing magnetic frequencies to an electronic device you carry around a supercomputer in your pocket that guides you around that listens to you communicates your location like we are fully integrated with computers well whether it's the watch you've been wearing since the 80s and we are on this slow progression and of course you lose your eyesight you're going to get a bionic eye these things are happening 
And, uh, you know, it's not surprising, you know, uh, the natural world is being infused by mankind. I mean, just look at how much of the world is covered with concrete. That used to be environment. That used to be rivers and swamps and ecosystem. Now it is dead ground. It is getting filled with electronics and wires and, you know, infrastructure, magnetic fields. So, yeah, we're, we're in a way, if you think of like how coral can populate the ocean, I mean, we are building things in a much similar way, creating chemical substances, you know, reforming rocks all over the planet. We're rebuilding this place to something new. And that technology, yeah, it's linking together. It's certainly going to become part of us. It's, it all, it's, it's like, uh, you, you know, uh, sorry, I, that was a cut, no, cut run me over, out, please. You need to run <laughs> me over. About like, right, it reminds me of like the Borg ships from Star Trek Next Generation, right? The, these ships are literally just like cubes of technology and they're as big as planets or, or whatever it is. They're, they're these massive things. There's nothing natural about it, but yet it sustains life somehow, right? Um, and then you mentioned cyborgs too. I mean, the, really, uh, the the definition of of cyborg is uh, man, uh, you know, nature inter uh, intertwined with technology. So you could argue that the first time a man picked up a stick and beat a fucking chicken with it, he became a cyborg, right? Because he was using the technology as an extension of himself. So I see mm -hmm. three of us on camera right now. We're all wearing glasses. Technically. We are cyborgs at that point because it's it's th this may be an old, simple technology, our glasses, but it's still going back to that definition of man interfacing with technology is what a cyborg is. So uh, as Adam pointed out, it's only a matter of time before it progresses to a point where, um, you know, things might be uh, too far gone. Like we, like we mentioned concrete everywhere. Uh, back in the you know ancient times, they didn't make necessarily use concrete as much. I know the Romans did, but they used stone. They used actual stone and just shaped it and formed it and moved it to where they needed it to be. God knows how. Uh, that's a mystery in itself how they did this thing with these massive stones. But I'm just saying there's there's uh, there's ways to do what we're doing now with a little bit more natural uh, uh method of doing things right if we went back to actual stonework and masonry it may not you know because uh, i i work in construction so a, a mason versus a concrete guy two different pay grades right mm -hmm. a concrete guy is just mixing shit up in a fucking truck and pouring it out whereas a mason uh, is more of a skilled labor that's actually using stone and manipulating it to produce something that perhaps concrete could do faster and cheaper. Um, so it's interesting just to think about, you know, the concept of cyborgs and uh, how far back that actually goes. And I mean, they're already, I mean, even in a more literal sense too, uh, instead of looking at it from like, you know, just technology in the most like basic definition of it, like people have uh, like pacemakers, things like that already. Like that's literally infused into your body. So that's pure definition of a cyborg, even by like sci-fi standards at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. I, and I don't necessarily, you know, um, you know, not want to go into that future. I'd like it to be more sustainable. I'd like our, you know, answer to everything not to be to dump it into the ground um, and forget about it because, you know, we're living in a, uh, you know, a fishbowl. You know, everything we create, if you make it, 
Like when I go into the store, I'm terrified at the aisles of soap and pesticides and chemicals because I know those have been produced. And it's just like, go and dump them in the ground, go and dump them in the ocean. You know, what is, what is in those things? It, it's, yeah. it, it's absolutely terrifying. And if you just look at like C4, the chemical originally used uh, in uh, Teflon products is so ubiquitous in our environment. Teflon's great. It doesn't react with stuff, which means it lasts forever. It's sustaining forever. This chemical is in every single human being's body. If you want to find groups of people that don't have it in their body, you have to go back to blood samples from World War I before the stuff started to be produced in the 40s and 50s. C4 like the explosive? Oh, did I say C4? Maybe it's C8. I should probably get that. There's a great documentary, a great documentary that goes into this called The Devil We Know. Um, And it's about the entire Teflon industry. Uh, But just when you take just just that one individual thing that we know is having these horrific effects on the body, we're not going to be easily able to get it out of the environment. Uh, You know, the the ways that they suggest are, you know, filtering uh, with systems that use plasma. Uh, So you're talking, you know, heat in excess of the temperature of your sun in the sun to neutralize this stuff. Um, I mean, I think something. But now you have every year over 2000 new chemicals being made and produced. And then add that into every process, every chemical. What are those things? Where do they go? They're eventually ending up into our environment, our systems, our foods. And even if we stop today, that's just, it's, to me, that's terrifying. So I wish people would wake up to it. I mean, I think part of the problem is the fact that people are only taking into consideration here and now in themselves. Like you were talking about earlier with like money and power and that that always trumps the environment to begin with. But if people actually took into consideration the fact that their bloodlines that they care so much about are going to have to deal with the fact that everything's destroyed later on and they're trying to pull it back, uh, I think they would actually take that into consideration and not just worry about money specifically because, you know, everybody loves their their bloodline. So, like, you got to take it. It's out of sight, out of mind. We're like cats or, or little children. Um, everybody's sick. You know, everybody's, you know, being hurt by something. But if we don't see the immediate reaction, you just have to watch like videos of where, um, you know, they'll have like prepare a meal in a kitchen and they cover the like the chicken with black light. And it's like then they, you know, illuminate the room and you see this incredible spread of germs around, you know, everything's fluoresced. You know, it's this this mess. But if you don't see it, then you're not even thinking that if you had salmonella, your entire kitchen would be contaminated. And I think that's the entire thing about environmental toxins. They're all slow burning, slow causing, general health declines, overloading systems across the entire environment. And it's a slow burn that we don't even see. And you literally cannot see it unless you're testing for it. I mean, even going back to plastics too, you look at uh, like over in India and things like that, they have entire rivers that are just full of garbage plastic. And part of the problem too, is that most of the people that are, that are producing that shit don't live in areas where they're actually seeing that kind of thing. So it's just going to the wayside and getting disposed of in these third world countries and just different random countries rather than right in the forefront of the people that are creating the garbage. So again, if they don't see their error of their way, they're never going to actually want to react to it. But if people start seeing every single river and stream in the United States full of bottles and garbage and plastics, then people probably would react a lot faster to it and actually want to do something about exactly. it. Exactly. And we hide it well. You put your stuff into a can so you don't have to see it. It goes outside your house. A guy in a truck picks it up, takes it away. It's done for and that's it. But meanwhile, if you're in an environment in the Amazon 
you know, yeah, you are influenced by the world. You get stuff from the outside world. It comes in. But now it's no longer food in a corn husk or in a paper bag, which is biodegradable. It gets thrown into the environment. Now it's something that is made to not biodegrade for years or centuries. And yeah, then it just accumulates and builds. They don't have a whole, you know, a dump site to go put this in. There's no system for that. So yeah, it's, I mean, it is all our problem. Like we've, we've shit, we've shit on the world so hard. Um, it's a good thing. Nature grows back quick. We just got to stop, give it a chance. I mean, part of the problem in America too, is the fact that most people think that their recyclables are actually getting recycled, but a lot of the time they're getting incinerated, destroyed, like buried. The only way to really deal with recyclables is like by yourself, but like, there's only so much you can do with that shit. So you have to be conscious of like, that's true. You're producing. You can at least hold on to the fact that if you're throwing in metals like aluminum cans, which counterintuitively will get sucked up in magnetic systems, they react as well under the magnets they use and steel is going to get sucked up. So any of those tin cans and things like that, you know, they're pulling that out at a pure value and it's going to get smelted. But you're right on all the other plastics. Oh, there's food on it. Oh, there's label on it. Oh, it's not perfectly clean. Oh, the cap's attached. They're not prying all that stuff individually. Yeah, and sorting it all. I mean, uh, you're, you're right. So with the, the metals like aluminum and scrap and uh, steel and whatnot, most of the time that gets crushed here into like a cube, loaded on a rail, shipped to the east uh, west coast uh shipped on a boat to china they smelt it down and then they ship it back i mean that's i mean that's not efficient at all like by the time it gets back here it is not even worth the its weight as far as like the recyclability of it post covid but they were doing that pre covid and during covid with chickens yeah. it was cheaper to take too, yeah. and and send a frozen chicken to china to get cut up and processed and then sent back to us than it was to do the processing in America to begin with. Yeah. Which is just insane. And Shane, you mentioned about the plastic, you know, bottles, like people, I I'm sure a lot of municipalities, a lot of cities have uh recycling bins, right. That you can have outside your house that you have like a green bin for your trash and then like a blue bin or something for your recyclables. Well, in the town that I grew up in outside of Dallas for 18 years, uh, at one point we, we paid the extra a month to get that blue recycling bin. And then the same truck that picked up mm -hmm. the green ones would go down the line, pick up all the green ones, and then come right back and pick up all the blue ones, put it in the same fucking truck. All you were doing was paying for that extra bin. It's a placebo uh, effect. It makes yeah. people feel better just because they think they're recycling. But like, I've even noticed that like my work, for example, has they're you know part of like the woke crowd type concept because they're starting to go corporate. But uh, they have like recycle bins at every single facility, and everybody that works there takes out the garbage. And where do you put the recycles? We're back into the fucking garbage bin. Like it makes no difference. It's just a placebo effect to look good too. I mean, a lot of people want to. I don't want to say it, virtue signal as far as like a business goes, but that's probably part of that for that extra bin, right? So it's just a money. It's it's a scam. It's a yeah. scam. I mean, my city offers it for free, but I'm sure it goes like they have two different trucks, but they I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if I trust it like that. If anything, like you like he was saying, I'm sure you that they sort out specific things. Truck, you should follow one of those trucks around all day till it gets and watch it end up at the dump with the rest of them. Yeah, I bet you it probably no. does. They had to make people feel better, at least. So they have the green truck for recyclables and then, the you know, blacker uh, burgundy truck for garbage, you know. Having said that, uh paper always highly recyclable so yep. put your cardboard in there they always take that it's it's recycled it's highly valuable 
I don't like to eat off of anything that's recycled or touch it just because I'm like, well, when I throw this container of oil or pesticide or what other contaminants are in this, or is that going back into my toilet paper? You know, I'm not sure I want Roundup on my butt. Hey, don't get me started about what's going in your asshole. Okay. We had this whole <laughs> conversation the other night. Uh, I recently got a little bidet attachment for my toilet. And at the same time, uh, the same week, I got my city water report. <laughs> And I'm I'm doing all kinds of things to my butthole when I use the bidet because God knows what's in my water, <laughs> including uranium and arsenic. Yeah, gonna, that, that was on the list. <laughs> you're going to get hemorrhoids with their own talking hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kyle. <laughs> what me, buddy? Don't do good. Oh, my dude. OK, Jesus. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> where do we go from here shane is this the end of the show <laughs> we can call it the end i guess uh, no it's the best it's the best show art show like uh artwork ever for a show oh hemorrhoids <laughs> on hemorrhoids okay well shane work on that we'll we'll make Sing. it Ha-ka. <laughs> i gotta write it in tiny tiny text so that people will read it in that voice you have to make a hemorrhoid with it with its own hemorrhoid and then text. Yeah, it's like, oh, my. OK, geez, <laughs> it's like Inception of hemorrhoids. <laughs> uh, is that the episode title? Hemorrhoid Inception? I think people would not take this. It was a very serious conversation that we had tonight. And I think if we labeled <laughs> this hemorrhoid Inception, people would get the wrong idea. <laughs> hey, at least we kept a light at the end, though. You got to yeah. do it deep through the whole conversation. Then you may leave it with a laugh. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I, I guess at that note, uh, I'll let you guys go first. 13 questions. Uh, let everybody know where to come find you guys at. Sure. Uh, the website is the best place to go. And that's just 13questionspodcast.com. It's 13questionspodcast.com. And there's no www in front of that either. I don't know if that matters or not. But yeah, that's the best place. You'll find all the uh, social media links there as well as episodes to listen to. You'll get some show history as well as bios from all the hosts that have been a part of the show. And of course, our affiliate links are all there. So yeah, head on over to 13questionspodcast.com. And then uh, my co-host Kyle, just because you know this is over on my show for the first time with you helping me co-host. Oh, well, thank you, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Adam and Bill, it was a pleasure to meet you guys. I'll have to get you guys on the Big back Dumb at Podcast. You. Uh, thank you. I'll have to get you guys on the Big Dumb Podcast sometime. But uh, And Shane, thank you as well for letting me co-host with you on your show. Uh, but yeah, uh, find me uh, on all podcast platforms, on YouTube. Uh, I'm finally at the point where if you just type in the Big Dumb Podcast, something will pop up and you can find me there. So uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, thank you. Isn't that a weirdly good feeling though? And you can look up the name of your podcast and it's one of the first things that popped up. I started yeah. doing that a couple of weeks ago and the first two pages are all my show and it makes me feel, feel good actually, you know? And Well, despite people claiming that I've stolen uh, podcast names from other podcasters for whatever reason, you know, there's people out there that don't understand, you know, how this works. Uh, but even when I type in, you know, just the big dumb, mine's the first one that pops up. So, uh, uh, I, I have respect for all the podcasters out there, but you know, the, the fans need to need to chill out a little bit. And, uh, and, and sorry, I'm, I'm digressing into a, a, a rant, but I'll, I'll shut up and let you end the show. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Honestly. I didn't know that was still going on with you. I thought that was like a couple of weeks ago, but 
Well, it no, it's over, but it still bugs me. You know what I mean? Oh, no. I look at my that one star review on my podcast, and I'm like, you motherfuckers! Like it just gets me every time because I I'll go back and I'll go to read a new five star review, and then I'll see that one star review. I'm like, you son of a bitch! So if you're listening to Big Dumb Inquiries, please go go to Big Dumb Podcast and leave a five star review. Let's drown out that one star that showed up. No, Shit, while you're at it. A, if you're making everybody happy, you know, then you ain't doing it right. But B, it lets people know you're real, right? Uh, like somebody yeah. actually got pissed off listening to this. It's not just uh, everybody loves it because we're Uber fans. Exactly. Exactly. That's, That's a great point. That's a great point. You've, you know, you've made it when you have haters. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> and actually, shit, while you're at it, why don't you give all of us a review? Because we appreciate it. Whether you do it a good review or a bad review, either way, we still want to read it. <laughs> we want to know how people feel, right? so i guess with that note i appreciate all you guys for coming on the show today uh we did this a little bit of a different style than the usual show so i hope the listeners also enjoyed it uh and i guess i'll catch you guys on the next one have a good night everybody Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.